Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dortch, the Hall of Famer. I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. A lot of fun topics to get to on today's show. Chris, what's going on, man? Man, just watching these these crazy results uh, pile up. Uh, last year was was a wacky regular season, and I know we're going to talk about parity later, but this season seems to be on par with it, if not more so. Just If you just look at the teams that have gone down, nobody's safe uh, anymore. It's just like it's just a tough road to hoe, and a lot of these super conferences. I, I, I mean, it's only going to get worse. But when when you've got twenty teams, and most of them, you know, really put a lot of money into their basketball program, I mean, you're going to see conference champions with five or six losses uh, or more. I mean, it's crazy. It, it really is, and. I wanted to kind of start with the SEC, which, of course, I call games for Vanderbilt in that league. And and you just see these wild swings from game to game. Uh, It's been an interesting week for me. I I called a buzzer-beating win for Vanderbilt on Tuesday against Texas A&M, 74-73. Ezra Magnon uh, hit the game winner after Tyrese Radford made a couple free throws to give the Aggies the lead with uh, just over 10 seconds left. Uh, you know, it was certainly the highlight of the season for Vanderbilt. We've had a rough year, but for AM, that could be a, a game that comes back to haunt them. Uh, they were top 40 in the net going into that game. They'd really been playing well. They don't always shoot it well, but winning is all that really matters, you know, when it comes to, to putting the, the numbers up to get into the NCAA tournament. I also saw a good South Carolina team in Columbia back on Saturday. Colin Murray Boyles went crazy. The freshman, he scored 31. Then they go to Auburn and get yeah. absolutely waxed on Wednesday. The SEC is just wild. I mean, I've seen most of the teams in person. Auburn and Tennessee, to me, are a cut above everybody else. When you talk about Alabama or South Carolina or Kentucky, Florida's much improved. The two Mississippi teams, uh, they seem like they have some work to do. But Auburn, they rebounded from getting blown out at Florida by just destroying South Carolina, 101-61. to They'll have Kentucky next at home on Saturday. You saw Tennessee go to A&M and get beat by double figures down there. And, and I know there was a, some controversy in that game, but A&M played great. It's always hard, though, to make a quick turn and go on the road after you play a big emotional home game and you get a top-10 win on Saturday. A&M comes to Vanderbilt on Tuesday in that first half. You could tell they did not have the same fire that they did against Tennessee. And then you see Tennessee bounce back. They go to Arkansas, 192-63 to on Wednesday night against a Razorback team that just... Man, they just don't have it this year. What a crazy year in the SEC. And you have some teams in that league that I think have a chance to go a long way uh, when March gets here. Oh, I think so too, Kevin. Uh, You're right. I I think Auburn, uh, somebody said they were like Noah's Ark. They got two of everything. (laughs) And and, There's uh, some truth to that. (laughs) They do. They've got depth at every position. Uh, Tennessee, Rick Barnes stated this simply last night. Things look a lot better when shots go down. And, uh, you know, they've had this wild swings. They hang 103 at Kentucky. Uh, they score like 88 against LSU. Then they go to uh, Texas A&M and get kind of shut down. And then last night, they just crushed Arkansas. I, I, I kind of wonder, you know, Eric Musselman has made his bones even from the time he was at Nevada – uh, with transfers, but and and they claim to have this proprietary system of rating transfers. But last spring, I read that they had offered a hundred kids in the portal, and I got to thinking, 
well, that proprietary system must not be that, you know, pre precise or whatever. If they're offering a hundred guys, and I just wonder if this year they didn't just caught up with so many disparate pieces, uh, guys that came from other places and maybe were the stars, and uh, they've had some injuries too. There's no doubt about that. Devo Davis had a little issue and had to check out for a while. Now he's back. But Tennessee just when, – when Tennessee plays their best defense and they give Dalton Connect offensive cover, which they did last night with Jonas Adu, who's become one of the better big men in the country, uh, they're tough to beat too. So – and then Alabama, I mean, I think they've – if I'm not mistaken, they've scored a hundred or more seven times this year. They're just uh, a juggernaut, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be a, a rugged SEC tournament. Too bad you have to cover a lot of baseball. I'll be there for some of it anyway. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, it, it really is crazy, and it's funny. I've had that conversation about transfers with a couple different people around the sec in recent weeks and uh one, one of the recurring themes that seems to be in talking about that is that players that are good fits in one place they transfer and go to another team and there's a lot of talent there and and it seems like on paper that it's going to work out great but just not the same fit that they were at their previous team where they were successful so yeah i, I think those things are really interesting like sometimes it works great you have great chemistry with your transfers and sometimes it, it doesn't work quite as well and uh, it yeah. feels like arkansas is going through some of that this season uh, after some really terrific years with, with musselman as coach including the sweet 16 run last year but um it, it's hard to see that uh, coming for this razorback squad in 2024 uh we mentioned kentucky a moment ago uh, maybe their fans took a step back from the ledge after a Tuesday's home win over Ole Miss 75-63. They had lost three straight at Rupp Arena for the first time ever. I didn't realize that it never happened since that building opened in 1976. Uh, that finish against Gonzaga for Kentucky fans had to be hard to watch because they got beat on that same screen role play over and over. And then I felt like they made some bad decisions at the end of the game. You got to either uh, pull the trigger and take a three or you got to make a safe pass inside, but you can't do something in between and turn it over. And then on the flip side, that was a big win for Gonzaga. It, it feels weird Chris to even talk about Gonzaga needing help for their tournament chances but it felt like that win in Kentucky probably really helped them ironically that was their first quad one win of the season uh they're still looking pretty good in the net uh they're coming in at number 23 but they need to pad their resume a little bit uh or risk having to win the West Coast Conference tournament which is no easy task they've got home games that's or away games at San Francisco at St. Mary's, they'll both be quad one wins. Um, so, you know, they could really solidify things if they win both those games. But otherwise, I can't hardly see this happening. But, uh, you know, they might have to win their conference tournament. Uh, they they usually do, but uh, they might have to do it this year. It, it's, it just, again, it shows you, I guess we're going to talk about the parity, but it, you know, Gonzaga's never been afraid to play anybody anywhere, sure. anytime. So, uh, but uh, there again, they they've trying to plug transfers into key holes. You know, they they lose Drew Timmy and and, and get the kid I IKEA and and uh, uh, try to move him in in, in the post. And and uh, some new guys are stepping up. New point guard Ryan Nembhard. Uh, so uh, yeah, it takes a while to put those pieces together. 
Yeah, they've been a program that's, like you say, they play pretty much everybody. And they've really played tough non-conference schedules over the years to make up maybe in part to where you're not playing tons of, of quad one, quad two games in their conference. But that's a tough league. There's some good teams. St. Mary's is good. I've seen them a few times. I saw San Francisco in person here in Nashville a couple months ago, and I thought that looked like a, a very good team. So, uh, yeah, it'll, to have an NCAA tournament without Gonzaga seems like unthinkable if you go all the way back to the 90s when they, they started on this uh, fantastic run that they've been on for all these years. So we'll see, yeah. how, see how it goes for the Zags here in this stretch run. Lenardi, um, I he uh, wrote something on on ESPN.com. He says, we'll move the Bulldogs comfortably into the next four out territory within range of first four out. Wow. That's just not what you expect to hear about Gonzaga this time of year. And like I said, in their league, um, there aren't that many opportunities for quad one wins. And unfortunately, they don't come until their final two games of the season, and they're both on the road at tough places. So, uh, you know, still work to be done for the Zags. One of the biggest stories of the week is the coaching change made at Ohio State. The Buckeyes fired Chris Holtman, who is a former Blue Ribbon guest. Uh, one of the questions I always have in, in a situation like this is, what's the point of firing a coach midseason? Uh, Holtman got off to a great start at OSU. They made consecutive NCAA tournaments, but they struggled this season, 4-10 and in the Big Ten, and have lost 9 of 11 with Tuesday's loss at Wisconsin. What happens next uh, with the Buckeyes? They figure to have a lot of money to spend, and uh, it's a good job, of course, in the Big Ten. Holtman figures to have some landing spots. He's a good coach and also gets a, a buyout of almost $13 million. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I'll i tell you who's not taking it, Jay Wright. If, if Jay Wright wanted to still be in Division One coaching, he'd still be at Villanova. He, he's proven you can win it all there. He did it twice. He is not taking the Ohio State job. I've seen that all over the internet. I'll tell you, it, it's it's scary there. The AD, Gene Smith, has got the quick hook. Uh, Jim Foster, the women's coach, I know this because he later took the Chattanooga job. He had done nothing but graduate every player, go to the Sweet 16, and they just gave him the unceremonious boot. And then Thad Mata was, everything was hunky-dory there until suddenly it wasn't, and then he got the boot, and now Chris Holtman's gone through a rough patch. Admittedly, they're four and ten in the Big Ten right now, uh, but I, I think he's one of the better coaches in the country and, and one of the best guys. I mean, as you said, he was on our show. I talked to him before for some uh, stories I did for NBA.com, and you know, I, I, I'm biased, but he was a big Blue Ribbon fan. <laughs> uh, he'll he'll be back on the sidelines next year. If I were an AD, I, I would rush to hire him. Uh, there may be already deals in the works. Uh, the, the things about these days, it used to be where, you know, uh, for courtesy, uh, one AD would call the other. No, no. And now all this is done between agents and, and stuff happens. And I'm sure uh, agents are already talking about uh, who his replacement will be. And I'm sure his agent is already talking to schools that are likely to make a change. He will be back on a sideline. He's too good a coach, too good a guy, does things the right way. It's just if if you slip even a little bit in, in a league like that, uh, it's hard to get back up. 
And at a place like that, too, at Ohio State, which is, you know, one of the flagship programs of the Big Ten. And, you know, Gene Smith himself is on his way out the door uh, leaving Ohio State. Very That's soon. right. That's right. He doesn't have to account for that big buyout. What did you say his buyout was? Uh, $12.8 million. See, that's crazy. I, I'm sure I've told this on the podcast before, but <laughs> Kevin Stallings told me the funniest thing uh, when, when he got fired at Pittsburgh. He had an $8 million buyout, and he said one night he had a nightmare, and he dreamed that he didn't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> so he does get fired and walks with $8 million. Like his agent, wow, yeah, what an agent that guy was. Uh, everybody knew that wasn't a fit. Chris Holtman doesn't have to do anything, obviously, uh, with that kind of scratch. But and and I don't know if I don't know what his contract entails. If he gets another job, whether it eats into that buyout. If I were him, I'd just chill for a while. Yeah, man, you can play a lot of golf with twelve point eight million dollars. Yeah, get on the beach and and just just uh, enjoy life. Just hang. This figures to be a wide open and crazy and wacky NCAA tournament. It's always that way, but th- this year feels like it's going to be just off the charts. You've mentioned the word parody uh, a few times already this morning. We've seen so many top 10 upsets, especially when those teams have gone on the road with over 30 losses in those situations. There are a lot of different factors, Chris. You can look at the teams that are older, and you know, the extra COVID year has uh, sent players into their early to mid-20s or more players in their mid-20s, I guess you would say, than ever before. And to me, that's a part of the factor, guys that have played together and experience and those things. But how do you view all that when you look at what's taken place, especially over these last few weeks when we've seen the conference play be as rugged as ever? Yeah, um, the Athletic did a big story on that, and Nate Oates was quoted, and his quote was essentially, you know, I think he said this is not controversial, but he, what, what he meant to say, this is not rocket science. Uh, there, there's reasons. Last year, a record 54 teams cycled through the AP top 25, which kind of uh, portended a wacky NCAA tournament, which it was. This year, 47 teams have already appeared in the AP poll. And... Uh, Top 10 teams are just 32 and 34 on the road against unranked foes. This was after North Carolina lost at Syracuse on Tuesday. So um, uh, that's the worst percentage uh, in the modern era since the tournament expanded in 84-85. So to me, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, we're finally in the last year of, of the COVID uh, eligibility, and that's finally going to cycle out. So you take a team like it's one I know off the top of my head, Tennessee. They have two fifth-year COVID guys in their starting lineup, and another fifth-year senior and two juniors. So they're old dudes. Uh, so I think the COVID year is a factor, and then there's no question. We talked about the bad side, the downside of the portal, but the good side of the portal is, um, and and a lot of teams live in there. I can't tell you. How many coaches I interviewed this year from when I was doing Blue Ribbon? I write a lot of mid-major schools because I have coaches who are friends of mine. And and they the, the, the quote was, we don't get this kid if not for the portal. So in other words, some good freshmen are being overlooked because, uh, you know, schools are looking to plunder the portal. And, and I think the portal 
if, if done right, uh, and it's hard, they call it speed dating because you've got to condense what usually took two years into about two weeks, you know, trying to find out a kid's character, his work ethic, does he fit? Will, you, will your existing team like him? And, 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 you know, the ones that do a good job on that, uh, they, they get good quickly. So it's interesting to see. Uh, Tennessee added two huge additions in Dalton Connect and Jordan Ganey. Uh, they combined for 39 last night at Arkansas. Uh, you know, they were shooters. Tennessee needed shooters. They recruited for specific need. I think the portal is good if you recruit for specific need. Uh, if you kind of go willy-nilly, and I don't want to say that Arkansas went willy-nilly, but they took a lot of dudes from a lot of programs. And I don't know. It, sometimes it's just difficult to put all that together. Yeah, and to get it to work by the time especially conference play arrives. I just think all those are really interesting factors. And I've heard a couple coaches say, too, that next year it feels like things might get a little more back to normal after that last COVID year yeah. cycles out and you get guys back to where they're, you know, your, your older players are 21-22 instead of 24-25. Uh, I've, I've seen quite a bit of that. It's really interesting in doing prep for games and, and looking at the birth dates of some of the players and uh, just how much older some yeah, of these guys yeah. are and how long they've been around college basketball. And the other thing, too, is in, in the past, some kids would have taken a chance on, on turning professional. And at, at the very worst, they'd go overseas, make six figures, get all their housing and other needs paid for. And it's, you know, it's a decent living, even if you have to, you know, move overseas to do it. But now with NIL, some, some kids can come back and, and make bank, you know, so... I mean, it's particularly true. The, the example that comes readily to mind is from women's basketball. Caitlin Clark could have bolted for the WNBA, but they make 70K a year. And now she's got, I looked the other day, six or seven uh, really good sponsors. And I think makes at least a million dollars a year. There's a gymnast at LSU that makes $3 million a year. Mm -hmm. So NIL is a factor too. And, this is just the world we live in now. Um, teams can get older uh, and stay old, and um, I, people will still recruit top 50 freshmen, don't get me wrong, but Kentucky has proven this. They've got as good a freshman class as there is in the country, talented guys that can shoot, pass, and dribble. But, uh, you know, who would have thought they could lose three games in a row and rough it's, and, and, and get pounded, you know, by Tennessee – uh, it just boggles the mind, but experience trumps, uh, you know, ex experienced uh, talent uh, trumps, uh, you know, inexperienced ultra talent, you know, one and done guys. Yeah. It, it just, it's been, it's been proven to be so Vill Villanova has proven it, you know, uh, recently uh, uh, Connecticut has proven it. You know, if you get some old guys, and if you know what you're looking for in the portal, uh, and and mix them in, it, you can you can blend something. It it's it's scary and it's crazy, but if you do it right, uh, you can roll winners right away. One of those losses for a highly ranked team on the road was Kansas at Texas Tech earlier this week. 
and yeah. the Red Raiders won seventy nine to fifty, and that's a good Texas Tech team. I've seen them in person too, and and they're a team that, well, that's coach. added some some good guys from the portal. Yeah, very well coached. Grant McCasland uh, has a good team. Um, they're eighteen and six, seven and four in the Big Twelve. It's it's crazy to see Kansas with five Big Twelve losses in the middle of February. That just doesn't happen. And it's also crazy to see Bill Self ejected in a game. It was the first time it had happened in his twenty one seasons at Kansas. That happened on Monday night. He had been there seven hundred twenty two games. Uh, Bill Self said he didn't cuss, but he did say a magic word maybe more than once. Uh, it was after an offensive foul against Hunter Dickinson, and he said there was a whole lot more than just that. But he joins first-time Big 12 ejectees Kev- Kelvin Sampson and Scott Drew this season. So uh, welcome yeah. to the club, Bill Self. Yeah, no, he, he said his quote was he didn't cuss him. Oh. Uh, so he must have <laughs> used that magic word. Yeah. But um, I, I'm reminded of, of the great – Showman, uh, the godfather of soul, the hardest working man in show business, James Brown, who once said, Papa, don't take no mess. So I'm thinking Curtis Shaw, the director of officials in the Big 12, has has issued that edict about getting out of coaches' boxes. But Papa, don't take no mess. So, <laughs> you know, you start chasing guys like Bill Self and, and Calvin Sampson and Scott Drew, uh, that is clear uh, evidence of it. Uh, we're not fooling around, guys. Uh, we got we got an itchy trigger finger. Yeah, the, uh, Bill Self put on the cape and uh, and headed for the exits. <laughs> he left the building. That's right. <laughs> That's right. What do you make of Kansas, though? Because you just they're another one of, the, one of those teams. You just always expect them to be not only at the top of the Big Twelve to be a national title contender as well. And even with all the talent they have, they've still had their struggles at times this season. Yeah, there again, you know, Hunter Hunter Dickinson. He was considered uh, the best uh, portal transfer of all time. And now people are saying it's Dalton, or now of all time, but of the year anyway. And now people are saying it's Dalton Connect of Tennessee. Uh, You know, Kansas doesn't have much depth. And the other night they were missing their best player, Kevin McCullough Jr., who's an All-American. And uh, that certainly didn't help things, but... Yeah, you look at Kansas right now sitting at 7-5 and five in the Big 12. But, again, this is what change has wrought. I mean, you look at they, – they brought new teams in from, from the American Athletic Conference uh, and, and BYU. And, you know, UCF knocks off Kansas. And uh, they came over from the American. And uh, Cincinnati's made things tougher. Houston. So, uh, these super conferences – they're going to take their lumps, and you know, there's a downside to that. And Kansas is one of those teams, too, and they become like like the traditional powers, Duke and Kentucky, where they go on the road, and they're everybody's Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. You can see it. I, I've watched quite a few of the road games. Like you saw it when they played at Texas Tech. It was extra jacked up for that game. I saw it when they played at Kansas oh, yeah. State a, uh, a week or so ago. Same thing. So they they know game in and game out, especially on the road, they're going to get everybody's best shot. Um Playing yeah, people at, are getting their licks in, yeah, man. Yeah, they sure are. There was a time, there was a time there where uh, uh, Bill Self had won more league titles at Kansas than he had home losses, or so, so, something mm-hmm. crazy like that. I'm, I'm, I'm butchering that statistic, uh, but you know they dominated the league for a period of years, and I'm not saying they're going away. Uh, I'm not saying they won't be heard from in March. Uh, heck, the way things are going, they could probably still win the league. They could win the league tournament. Uh, they're they're fine. 
but uh, yeah, there's just so many games night in and night out. I mean, you've seen it. You're on the road all the time. You've seen every game in a power conference uh, of your team and seen everybody in the league. And it's just, if you're not prepared, if you're not ready to strap it on, you're going to get your panty kicked. It's that simple uh, because there's too many good coaches, too many good players, and the home crowds are, are you again, you've seen them all. Uh, that crowd at Auburn is nuts. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Al- Alabama has, has become a place that, that's that's nuts. Um, Tennessee has sold out all their SEC games, and that's 21,000-plus. And that's just one league, uh, a basketball-centric league like the Big 12 and the Big 10 or even more so. It's just a – it's nuts. Going out on the road – you know, the old adage, and this was years ago, coaches would tell me, uh, when you go to a road game, you start 10 points down. That's what you think. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I think you can add 10 to that. <laughs> that it's, a, it's crazy. That advantage for Auburn, I, I think it's as good as anywhere in the country. To me, it's like the Cameron Indoor Stadium of the SEC, the way the students are. They're three-quarters of the way around the court, and they're, they're right on top of you. And, uh, they have turn that place into a great home court advantage at Neville Arena and that's just a it's a it's a beautiful building to start with but it's a it's a great home court advantage for their team yeah you can ask North Carolina about uh, going on the road they beat Syracuse in Chapel Hill in January 103 to 67 they went to Syracuse and played and lost 86-79 this week uh, Judah Mint scored 25 it was the third loss in five games for a very good Carolina team they're still 11 and 3 in the ACC and 19 and 6 overall but that just goes to show that uh, one game to the next uh, things can change in a hurry what in the name of Larry Bird is going on in Terre Haute, Indiana? You got Indiana State ranked for the first time since they were number one back in the uh, season of 78-79 when they went unbeaten all the way to the championship game. They played Michigan State, of course, the uh, the Bird and Magic game. And then uh, they get that ranking, and of course, as it always seems of to course. go, they lost to Illinois State 80-67 to at home. At home. At home, yes, at the Holman Center. I've been there. That's a, that's a good gym. Uh, yeah. ba- balanced scoring for the Sycamores. They have five that average in double figures, including Isaiah Swope at 17 points per game, and bespectacled big man Robbie Avila at 16-7. and seven. If you haven't seen that guy play, you need to. He is fun <laughs> he to watch. like somebody you'd see at the Y, you know? <laughs> He's really cool to watch, though. I, I've seen a few of their games, and uh, Indiana State. He's really not in good. maximum condition. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, but uh, but he knows how to put the ball in the hole, man. He, he's a well, very I'll tell good you player. What, he's a he's a crafty veteran for sure. But you know, wouldn't you know it? They get ranked, and now they're going to be out of the rankings. It reminds me of two thousand eight. Tennessee went to Memphis, and it was a battle of one versus two, and Tennessee won at Memphis got the number one ranking and two days later had to go to Vanderbilt, uh, which of course beat Tennessee. So that was like the shortest reign at number one in history. <laughs> uh, so yeah, success, as you mentioned earlier uh, with Kansas being everybody's Super Bowl, success just paints a bigger target on your back and, and gives motivation. And, you know, I, you, you could almost predict uh, Texas A&M just whacked Tennessee. And you could just almost predict Tennessee would go t- to Arkansas, which is a difficult place to play. They had lost seven in a row down there. But you could almost predict 
they would go there extremely pissed. Right. <laughs> and, and, and they were. And, you know, they, they, they played defense like they're known for. And, uh, you know, again, uh, when the ball goes in, every coach looks great. We mentioned Terre Haute remaining in the state of Indiana. Did you see who hit a three in Purdue's win over arch rival uh, Indiana the yeah. other night? Yes, that was yeah. the one and only seven footer Zach Eady at the top of the arc for his first career three. After the game, he joked that he was the best shooter in the country. Well, you can't argue with his percentage. He had 26 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, filled up the stat page in a 20 point win for the Boilers. But that was fun. And to see the reaction of the crowd at Mackey Arena was pretty cool, too. Yeah, he'd only taken. Uh, he, he'd scored before the game uh, over 2,000 points, and, he, and he'd only taken one three previously. Uh, so uh, it's pretty crazy. I, I also got to looking at, at another stat. He has 22 games of, of 25 uh, uh, points and at least 25 and, and 10 boards. That's fourth uh, among all players in the last 25 years. Uh, Mike Dahm from South Dakota State, Luke Heron, go to remember him from Notre Dame. And I, I, a guy that I know you covered quite a bit because you were still in that league, Terry Taylor, when you worked with, with Belmont. Uh, he had 26 of those, which is crazy since he was, what, 6'5 or so? Do you know my connection with Terry Taylor? I don't. He went to my high school. He, oh, wow. Uh, he played on a state championship team at Bowling Green High in Kentucky. Uh, the only state championship team in the history of that school. And then uh, he went on to play and, and was player of the year in all conference multiple times at Austin P. and now is playing in the NBA. He's, he's Bowling Green's first player to play in the NBA. So now uh, my alma mater has had uh, players in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, and in the NFL. So that, that's pretty oh, neat. That's cool. I, I, I'm a big Terry Taylor fan. Oh, yeah. He, he was quite the player. But I'll tell you what, if Zach Eady is going to bust up and knock down threes – my money's on Purdue. Uh, their recent uh, lack of success in the NCAA notwithstanding, because you're not going to be able to triple team him if he's going to. I mean, I'm sure it was a fluke. I'm just joking, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really curious to see how Purdue fares in this NCAA tournament. Because if you'll recall, the first team that got beat by a 16 seed in the tournament, Virginia went and uh, up and won it the next year mm -hmm. and, and certainly purdue has that opportunity i i'm thinking so far purdue and uconn have kind of separated themselves so if zach Eady can knock down threes man uh, <laughs> he really stretches the cool floor watch. <laughs> yeah i don't know how many more threes we're going to see from from zach Eady, but he's definitely made one after the one he hit against the hoosiers the other night We'll finish up today's show with a little golf and broadcasting segment. And the guy we're going to talk about uh, is retiring, and he's done a lot of college basketball, including some iconic yeah. moments. Uh, the 1992 Duke Christian Leitner yeah. buzzer beater against Kentucky is one of his classic calls. But Vern Lundquist will retire after this year's Masters. Uh, it'll be his 40th working that tournament. He's 83 years old, and, and that's been all that he's done for the last few years. But he's been on the 16th hole for years. Famous call of uh, the Tiger was chip in during the playoff with DeMarco back in 2005. Uh, on 17, he was there for the iconic call of the Jack Nicklaus putt in 86. Yes, yeah. sir. I yes, mean, sir. It, I mean, you, you can't think of the Masters without thinking about those calls. Uh, he retired from SEC football and NCAA basketball in 2016 and 2017. But I've said for years that I think 
that gig on 16, the par three at the Masters, where the tournament can often take a turn because it's a birdie chance, uh, is one of the great scenes in all of golf and in all of sports. And I, I've always been a huge Vern Lundquist fan. To me, his, his, there's something about his sort of grandfatherly voice and delivery that just makes it feel like a big event. But uh, I saw that yesterday, and I thought we uh, should mention that as we wrap up our show today. Yeah, I was lucky enough to meet him both at the SEC tournament when when he worked it with with Coach Raff, Raftery and at the Masters. I uh, in my other uh, life I was uh, a golf writer and got to cover the Masters ten times, and I am well familiar with sixteen. I hit it in the bunker left there and failed to get it out twice and made a triple bogey uh, uh, six there. But yeah, Vern was a, was a gentleman and and he did his homework and he was one of those old school broadcasters the, you know the kind that had that voice that just was reassuring and yeah that, that that yes sir call i'll never forget and i'll also never forget when nicholas won that won that tournament he had that big mcgregor putter that uh-huh. i don't yeah. know, it, was, it was as big as a, as an anvil I went out and bought one of those things like immediately. <laughs> Could you put like sure the golden bear? Riker did okay with that. But uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. Yes, sir. Because everybody was pulling for, for Nicholas. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that tournament. And I, I, I met Nicholas at a, he, he opened a course in Banner out North Carolina. And after it was over, we're, he has a condo. I think he asked for a condo on every course he he builds, and we're in there eating shrimp and stuff. And and I said, you know, you you cost me a couple of thousand dollars winning that Masters. And he he looked at me puzzled, and and uh, I said, yeah, my wife wanted to go furniture shopping, and I said I can't leave now. Jack's Jack's trying to win the Masters, so uh, Patty went and bought a. Uh, an expensive dining room set. <laughs> Jack had some kind of story that, that was similar to that about a television, but I'm thinking Jack don't have to worry about no scratch. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, it, it was, uh, Vern is, is a classic and, and he'll be missed. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch all I can of the masters and, and listen to every word he has to say. You know, something I learned from him is about how to make broadcast charts an interesting method of doing it. And it's something I've incorporated in my charts that I've made for, for basketball and for football. That's cool. I, I saw for football, he said that he would print the, the info, the players' names and, and, and notes and stats and things about each player. He would type them on, on like address labels and make them on his computer or maybe handwrite him too. And then just take the address labels and peel them off and paste them onto his board. The boards you make for football sort of look like the formation for the offense and the defense. If, if you make them that way. And I looked at that and I, I I was reading an article about him and he was telling about how he did that and how one of the producers helped him put together his charts and at first I thought, man, that's kind of a, an, an odd way of doing it. And then I thought, you know what? I've been looking for a new way to do these things, and maybe I'll give that a try. So I did. You know, I made these labels on my computer, and it took a lot of trial and error to get the font size and all that stuff the way oh, you yeah. want it. But once I got it figured out, I found a, a system that worked. 
And that's the system I've used for probably at least 10 or more years. And then I adapted that to basketball and the same thing. And, and I've even kind of made another generation of it now to where it's all on computer. And I don't really uh, actually print out the labels and, and peel them off anymore. But uh, that was a really neat idea and something that's really helped me as I've done my preparation for games. But as far as the broadcasting part, he, he is one of the all-time greats, uh, great at a lot of different sports, and uh, will be missed, but it'll be neat to hear Vern Lundquist one more time on 16 at the Masters uh, when April comes around. It definitely will, and, and I will visit you in your broadcast location on Saturday so I can see your board inspired by Vern <laughs> yes this, I, I've made my own uh, Kevin Ingram professional model uh, broadcast chart for basketball and, and that's something that also took a lot of trial and error it took me a long time to figure <laughs> out how to make it and get it the way I want it but uh, I, I'm happy with the results so uh, yeah we'll, we'll take a look at that on Saturday and it'll be great to see you Chris yeah. always always a lot of fun man enjoy doing the show and uh, we'll catch up again next time bye right, buddy he's Chris Dorch I'm Kevin Ingram that is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast we'll talk to you soon